gonna get used again. Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Alright, good day Tokers and Toquettes and non-toking Lovers of Liberty, it is Monday, March 21st 2016 And it's got to be 420 somewhere In the world Thanks for joining us. We're coming to you live again from Scottsdale, Arizona, the home of our fine, fine Cannabis Radio Network. Glad to be here. It's nice and warm and sunny, and it's a nice change of pace from being in Portland, Oregon, that's for sure. Been enjoying the weekend. I don't know if you caught any of my social media posts. We uh, drove up to Prescott, Arizona. I got to see the uh, historic Prescott, Arizona Whiskey Row. Interesting that there's a whole whiskey row up there and uh, had, had a nice dinner and uh, went out to the lake and just had a really nice time getting out among the people. So thanks to Cannabis Radio for having me out here. Uh, looks like we've got some of my travel schedule taken care of uh, booking for the next couple of months. And it turns out next week I will be in Las Vegas, Nevada. I've got a new gig there in Las Vegas to take care of, a little consulting gig uh, on the side. So I'll be in Las Vegas next week. If you're in the Vegas area, let me know. Maybe we can meet up and have lunch or something like that. So uh, I'm at Radical Russ everywhere on any social media you can think of. I'm Radical Russ. So get a hold of me and we'll have ourselves a good time. All right. Coming up on today's show, normally we would have Dr. Mitch Earlywine joining us for our cannabis Q&A, but something strange is going on with the laptop. I'm able to get the uh, system running, the the music, the uh, backgrounds, the loops, the sound effects, my microphone, everything's working except Skype. And I have no idea why. I haven't changed a damn thing. I just turned on the laptop today. I've been fighting with this for the past two hours. I have no idea why the Skype's not uh, working. I uninstalled and reinstalled and reset and followed the directions and ran the troubleshooter and called the tech support and everything I've done has been fruitless. So I'm going to have to run a replay of a uh, Dr. Mitch interview from earlier this year until I can work out what the tech problem is. But we will listen to some Dr. Mitch. It'll just be a replay from a previous episode. Also coming up on the show today, we've got time for some drug war data mining, and it's a very interesting look at how the change in marijuana laws by reforming marijuana laws either through decriminalization in the case of California, medical marijuana in the case of Massachusetts, or legalization in the cases of Colorado and Washington hasn't really changed the racial disparity of marijuana enforcement. We'll take a look into those numbers and compare them with the rest of the United States in drug war data mining. In Behind the Headlines today, we're going to take a look at the country of Uruguay, which three years ago voted to become, or actually its legislature uh, made it the first legal marijuana country in the world. Two and a half years later, they still have yet to get marijuana in their pharmacies, any actual retail sales. We'll tell you why. We'll, there's been some political changes as well that uh, made that a little more difficult. So we'll talk about that in the Behind the Headlines segment. That comes right after our Cannabis Radio News. And in the headlines today, huge news from the U.S. Supreme Court regarding Colorado's legalization. we got two stories coming out of Ohio, one on medical marijuana once again being rejected by the Attorney General there, plus the legislature taking a look at medical marijuana. We've got a terrible outbreak of synthetic K2 spice cannabinoids, whatever the hell you want to call those things, uh, just right before spring break in Florida. And hemp farmers in Tennessee are a little disappointed with what 2015 brought for them. We'll see if they move forward with hemp in 2016. All that and more coming up on the Russ Belville Show. This is the Russ Belville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com 
your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. From dabs to chibas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, March 21st, 2016. The U.S. Supreme Court declined on Monday to take up a lawsuit filed by two of Colorado's neighboring states over its legalization of marijuana. Nebraska and Oklahoma said Colorado's decriminalization has, quote, increased the flow of marijuana over their borders, end quote, forcing them to expend greater, quote, law enforcement, judicial system and penal system resources, end quote, thereby harming the welfare of their residents. They claim to suffer, quote, a direct and significant detrimental impact, namely the diversion of limited manpower and resources to arrest and process suspected and convicted felons involved in the increased illegal marijuana trafficking or transportation, end quote. Colorado's approach, they argued, is in direct conflict with federal law, which makes it illegal to possess even small amounts of marijuana. The court turned the case away in an unsigned opinion. Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito dissented. Writing for them both, Thomas said the court should have taken the case because, quote, the plaintiff states have made a reasonable case, end quote. Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine on Monday rejected a medical marijuana legalization amendment proposed by the group Grassroots Ohio. Several efforts are underway to legalize marijuana for medicinal use in Ohio this year. This is the third medical marijuana ballot issue DeWine has sent back. He found at least two def defects with the proposed medicinal cannabis and industrial hemp amendment and summary language that will appear on petitions. One, the summary omits references to proposed amendment that industrial hemp and medical medicinal cannabis shall be researched, regulated, and promoted by the state in a manner substantially similar to other agricultural crops. And two, the summary states that the amendment provides the right to a fair and transparent licensing process for cannabis-related commerce and provides equal opportunity for access, ownership, and employment for all Ohio citizens who have attained the age of 21 years old, but the proposed amendment establishes the age limitation only on licensing and not on receiving equal opportunity to access ownership and employment. 
Ohio lawmakers could take a look at a medical marijuana bill as soon as next month, but it's unclear whether statehouse Republican leaders will support the legislation. Senator Kenny Yuko, a Richmond Heights Democrat, told Cleveland.com he plans to introduce a bill in the next few weeks based on medical marijuana laws in 23 other states and the District of Columbia. People with specified medical conditions, including seizure disorders and post-traumatic stress, could buy and consume marijuana if approved by a doctor who has a history of treating the patient. Yuko gave no other details about the bill, including who might grow the marijuana for the program. He said the bill is a starting point, and he hopes his Senate colleagues will weigh in on the bill so it can be passed before June. Synthetic marijuana, also called Spice or K2, has sickened several dozen people in St. Petersburg, Florida, in the recent weeks. Police told CBS affiliate WTSP that they believe it's a bad batch. Quote, that's why spice is so dangerous. You never know what you're getting. It's a group of chemicals. And as one group is outlawed, they change it for a different chemical. End quote, said Yolanda Fernandez, spokesperson for the St. Petersburg Police Department. A dozen people became sick from what appeared to be spice on Saturday afternoon. Six were taken to the hospital. In the last few days, over two dozen people have had to be treated by paramedics. A spike in spice-related overdoses has been reported around the Bay Area from Clearwater to Tampa. Police have expressed additional concern about the timing since many college students from across the country are pouring into Florida for spring break. Many Tennessee farmers who participated in the state's return to industrial hemp farming are not going to try to grow the highly regulated seed again. In 2015, the state had about 50 farmers sign up to grow the crop for the first time in more than 70 years. This year, with two weeks left to apply for a growing permit, WBIR-TV reports that 25 farmers have applied. Cock County farmer Chuck Mason says he thought the crop would be a gold mine, but when seeds were more than a month late in arriving because of customs delays, the crop turned into a bust. Mason says he will return to growing hay this year. Senate Bill 50 in Pennsylvania has passed the Senate to bring back hemp to Pennsylvania farmers. The bill is awaiting a vote in the Pennsylvania House. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, March 21st, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. CannabisRadio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News, presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. Cannabis Radio News, live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, during the Russ Belville Show, or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is... Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Cannabisradio.com When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we go international for a look at Uruguay and its experiment to legalize marijuana nationwide through a government-run program. And while it was the first country to legalize, this was back in December of 2013, uh, they regulated the cultivation, sale, and consumption of marijuana against the UN treaties, the anti-drug treaties that so, uh, supposedly prevent them from doing so. We've been waiting ever since then to see how this would play out. Unfortunately, more than two years later, we're still waiting. 
And that's because the government in Uruguay has yet to implement any sort of regulations for the commercial production and distribution of cannabis. They're just stuck in purgatory at the moment, waiting to see what happens. So when this was first passed, the uh, legalization law in Uruguay made it possible for people to acquire marijuana. And, and only if you've registered with the government, by the way, this isn't just a right that's been given to all citizens. You have to actually put your name on a registry like medical marijuana patients have to in this country to be able to get the Uruguayan right to use marijuana. And they had come up with three different methods, three different ways that that was possible. One method was that you could grow your own. Uh, another method is that you could join a cannabis club, like kind of like what they'll have in Spain with collectives, collective gardening, or you could purchase it at a pharmacy. But as of this year, there are still no pharmacy sales. So in Uruguay, a, a nation of some 3.5 million people, there are just 6,000 Uruguayans who are cultivating their own plants, either through the collective model or just growing their own. So over two years into legalization in Uruguay, and there's only 6,000 people who are able to take advantage of that legalization. And of course, pharmacy sales, once those kick in, we would see so many more people getting involved in this. In 2015, the Latin American Marijuana Research Initiative found that more than 55% of the people who either had registered or wanted to register said that they would like to get their marijuana through pharmacy sales. The government estimated there'd be up to 160,000 Uruguayans who would be using marijuana access through their pharmacies by early 2015. Of course, that hasn't happened. And now they're saying, well, maybe in the middle of 2016, that'll be a little more realistic. But I don't know. I think we may be way into 2017 before anything happens into Uruguay. The regulators there are still working on the basic regulations. Uh, what will it cost? What sort of pharmacies will be involved? Will they have to sell marijuana or will they just be allowed to sell marijuana? Are they going to be forced to or is it a discretionary choice for these pharmacies? And as we look across the country, the black market in Uruguay is still as vibrant as ever. Uh, in fact, some studies are showing that it's at higher rates than before legalization. And perhaps this owes to people hearing that marijuana has become legal, but then not having any place to get it, they, uh, or not having a legal place to get it, they again turn to the black market. Now, part of what has caused this change in Uruguay was the change in the leadership of the government. In December 2013, the president of Uruguay was a man by the name of Jose Mujica, and he was quite uh, liberal by their standards and less averse to risk. Like, he just was ready to jump into this. But then he was succeeded in October of 2014 by Ta Tabare Vasquez, who is in the same coalition that supported the bill, but a far more cautious politician. And he's been very, very reluctant to move too quickly on this. He says that it needs to be moved forward. You know, they need to move forward very carefully, that it's a, a first in the, in the world sort of experiment. And he's worried that there could be, you know, if they, if something, if they don't move slowly enough, if they don't make very sure of what they're doing, that any negative effects that might come out from their mistakes would then be used to thwart legalization in other areas uh, of the world. So wanting to move forward with this as, as best as they could. Now, as they continue forward here in uh, Uruguay, it's another interesting situation in that the majority of the people in Uruguay aren't necessarily behind this legalization plan. 42% uh, of Uruguayans, according to a 2014 survey, said the general situation of the country would worsen as a result of regulation. Only 19% said that it would improve. Only 38% believed the law would have a positive impact in the fight against drug cartels. 
So they're moving forward very slowly here. They've seized a record amount of illegal marijuana, nearly double the amount of marijuana they seized in 2014. And they still move ahead very slowly. We'll keep our eye on Uruguay and we'll let you know when they move forward as 2016 continues to unfold. What is the main food that penguins eat? Spam? No, it's not spam. (laughs) Hey, happy 420 to everybody in the mountain time zone, except here in Arizona where they don't do that silly daylight savings time stuff. I'm torn now. I'm not sure which which 420 I'm supposed to celebrate. I know. I'll just celebrate both of them. Be right back after this. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. Cannabisradio.com. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The National Wildlife Refuge for Marijuana Unicorns. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Welcome back, everybody, in the Drug War Data Mines. Today, we take a look at the website youthfacts.org and a new post that asks the question, are young people and African-Americans better off under marijuana reform? This is something that we've posited many times in our fight for marijuana legalization is the fact that marijuana is definitely enforced in a racist way. Uh, Blacks are four times more likely nationwide to be busted for weed than white folks, despite the fact that we use and sell and grow marijuana at about the same rates. In fact, in some respects, white folks do it more and we get caught less. So that's one of our selling points. We've been saying we need to legalize marijuana because of the obvious racist enforcement of marijuana laws. So this study took a look at five states to answer this question. They looked at Washington and Colorado, which of course have legalized marijuana for everyone 21 and older, and then also looked at California, Connecticut, and Massachusetts, three states that had decriminalized marijuana within their within this uh, time span that they're looking at. And they wanted to see, did decriminalization or legalization have any effect on the racist enforcement of marijuana laws. And it's a yes and no kind of situation here in that, yes, we have found that the arrests of African-Americans have decreased significantly through marijuana legalization and decriminalization. What they found 
is that the total change in arrest rate for black people in California and Massachusetts was a decrease of 82%. The decrease in Washington was 91%. The decrease in Connecticut, 69%, and in Colorado, 55%. So in the reform states, in the five states they've taken a look at that have made positive reforms to their marijuana laws, an aggregate decrease of 80% in the black arrest rate. Now, in the non-reform states, the states that didn't make changes, the other 45, the decrease in the arrest of black, black folks was down 15%. So clearly, fewer black people got arrested in those five states that made major reforms. But here's where this gets a little difficult. When you look at the non-black arrest rate in those states, it went down by about the same rate. In California, down 75%. In Massachusetts, 89%. In Washington, 90%. Connecticut, 67%. And Colorado, 60%. Virtually the same numbers as what it went down for in the black community. And again, overall, the reform states, 76% arrest decrease. Non-reform states, 16%. So what is this change then? Obviously, we've had far fewer people arrested of any color, of any race, in the states that have had reforms. For example, in California, in 2008, the black arrest rate per 10,000, or per 100,000, excuse me, arrest rate per 100,000 in 2008 was 627.6. And then in 2014, the rate was 113.8. So a great decrease. That, that's that 82% decrease in the black arrest rate. But the non-black arrest rate in California went from 182.1 to 46.1, a decrease of 75%. So did it really help black people in any meaningful way? Well, here's what we can find out. In 2008, if we compare the black arrests in California to the white arrests in California, 627.6 divided by 182.1, we find that there were 3.4 black arrests in California for every one white arrest. In 2014, that has decreased to 2.5. So in the case of California, yes, their reforms have had a significant impact on the disparity between black and white arrest rates. But in the other states, not so much. In the state of Colorado, which legalized prior to legalization, 2.1 black arrests for every white arrest. After legalization, 2.3 black arrests for every white arrest. In the case of Connecticut with decrim, before decrim, 3.8 black arrests per white arrest. After decrim, 3.6. So not much difference. Washington state with its legalization before legalization, 2.2 black arrests per white arrest after legalization, 2.1. And in the state of Massachusetts, things actually got worse for black people before their decriminalization, 3.5 black arrests for every white arrest afterwards, 5.6. So the disparity actually grew in the state of Massachusetts. This illustrates something that we've heard from Kevin Sabet many times when we bring up this racial disparity in arrests. He'll often say that legalizing marijuana isn't going to fix the racism in the criminal justice system. And these numbers would seem to confirm that. Even in Colorado and Washington, when the arrests are either going to be for massive amounts or public toking or whatever they might be, we're seeing more black people still being arrested compared to white people. So be careful when you're selling this as something that will fix racism in the criminal justice system because preliminary indications are that it didn't. All right, stay tuned. When we come back, we'll have a replay of, from Dr. Mitch and our cannabis Q&A segment.
This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Carson doesn't believe in the Geneva Convention. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. Get your questions ready in our live chat or call in to 971-533-7111 now. Welcome back, everybody. Time for our cannabis Q&A. And uh, I saw Dr. Mitch show up in our chat room, and I'm trying to reach him on Skype, but he's there's Dr. Mitch on Skype. How you doing, Dr. Mitch? Hello, Mitch. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, we got you there. Do we, <laughs> I saw your, your Skype was offline. I was worried. Oh, okay. Glad to have you here. Dr. Mitch is the host of Burning Issues here on CannabisRadio.com, weekly podcast dedicated to enlightening people on the truth about cannabis. And uh, Dr. Mitch, what's coming up on your next show? Oh, it's curious. I had a really intriguing interview with uh, Libertarian uh, Executive Vice President of the Cato Institute, um, David Bowes, and he actually, you know, we had a good time. It was fun. All right. Check that out on CannabisRadio.com. You can get all the uh, Burning Issues uh, episodes available there for download on demand, and uh, we'll have more. We'll make more of those as we go. But Dr. Mitch joins us every Monday and has for years now to discuss our Cannabis Q&A. The phone lines are open. If you've got a question on cannabis science, culture, history, or health, the phone line is 971 533 7111. But uh, as we wait for your calls, we've got a few other stories that we can talk about. And at the top of the list, Dr. Mitch, a very interesting study that was uh, shown up on Medical Daily that claims childhood sexual abuse is linked to marijuana use, but it really may all be in the genes. What can we glean from this study? So this is actually a, a neat crew out at WashU who have this uh, big data set of twins uh, down in Australia and it looks like folks who run into trouble with cannabis, it's probably a, a heritable contributor as far as that is concerned. But there's usually you inherit some kind of propensity towards a reaction to the drug. And a stressor, a big stressor like uh, child abuse may be uh, what contributes to, you know, that, that leap from, you know, experimental use to troubled use. I, you know, didn't want to make too big a deal out of this just because it's a... Uh, uh, very complicated genetic analysis, and this individual gene may not replicate, but we've seen heritability of cannabis dependence symptoms back when 
that was the diagnosis. So it wouldn't stun me uh, that there's a, a heritable contributor. Okay, so so somebody's who's comes from a family where they've got a difficulty with marijuana use, uh, that may be something that leads to their own difficulty with marijuana use, the heritability you're speaking of. Exactly, and it looks like actually not from these data, but from other data sets, what you inherit is often the response to cannabis itself, and so uh, that subset of folks may find it more pleasant or uh, uh, a good way of, of getting their minds off certain stressors. But it's the combination of that and uh, a stressor like childhood abuse that, that seems to be uh, what, what leads to the actual dependence symptoms. Does that mean that some of those people out there that say when they first smoke they don't get high, maybe that's genetic? Uh, there's certainly a heritability to that initial response, but that not getting high actually seems to be linked to an inability to know how to inhale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's kind of an intriguing uh, first step. Well, I did not inhale. I did not like it, and I never tried it again. So, <laughs> Well done, sir. <laughs> Let's take a look at this other study, which uh, this one was interesting because uh, here in Oregon, we've recently gotten these new placards that have to be handed out whenever there's a cannabis purchase at our legal stores that talks about there may be damage to the fetus, there may be problems for pregnant women, maybe you shouldn't smoke pot, and it's always these studies saying this or that bad thing about moms who smoke pot, but this study says that prenatal exposure to marijuana can affect your kid's vision in a good way. Tell folks about this one. So I was pretty stunned by this, but uh, basically in this rather complicated um, tracking, uh, visual tracking task, the kids who were uh, at age four and were the ones who uh, had moms who had exposure to cannabis during pregnancy we're actually doing better on this it's not a huge effect but it's definitely something um that you know was statistically significant i want to emphasize as i would if it had gone the other way that these weren't randomly assigned and i'm guessing that these were folks who you know had mothers who may have been particularly good at comparable tasks uh, if they had done an adult test of something in the same domain i would have found this a little more uh, easy to follow but the other thing is, I, I'm just sort of spitballing here, but I'm wondering if it may have been something a little like that uh, cannabis protecting against alcohol-induced damages in the brain, that if these were parents who actually were pretty drug-involved, the ones who did alcohol and alcohol alone may have actually done more damage to their kids, while the ones who uh, had cannabis on top of the alcohol may have protected against. I'm still really down on drug use uh during during pregnancy, and so I just wanted to emphasize that uh, this isn't this isn't exactly a prenatal vitamin. Yeah, and and there's there's so many different confounders when we try to uh, get any information out of this sort of stuff because you can't you know just randomly assign half the pregnant women to smoke pot. Uh, it's all self selecting and such, and who knows maybe maybe people that already have these enhanced visual skills are more likely to be people that want to smoke pot and then their kids inherit those visual skills. Is that kind of something you, you got happen? it exactly right, man. That that's, that's it. And I think there's uh, some comparable animal work that really needs to be done where we could do random assignment and just checked. Uh, I mean, obviously rats can't do this task, but they do do visual spatial tasks, and we could see if uh, that enhancement does replicate that way and have a stronger causality argument. All right. We have a headline coming out of Time magazine on time.com that says one in 10 people in the U.S. have abused drugs, and that's where we have to define what do we mean by abused and what do we mean by drugs. So what's crazy about this is this is one of the hugest face-to-face uh, -face interviews from a national survey back in 2012, and it's unfortunate because the diagnosis for uh, drug abuse is actually no longer around. The DSM-5 has uh, an addiction syndrome, so I'm, I'm apprehensive about making too much of this, but the take-home message that about 10% of folks have had some kind of drug-related problems actually is consistent with data we've had in the past, um, but that includes cannabis, cocaine, hallucinogens, heroin, uh, the whole gamut, and I, I think um, the, the clincher is we want to you know, emphasize that, hey, this can happen to anyone despite the heritability and the uh, class differences and things like that we've mentioned, and that the opioid-related things are clearly up. So I 
could split hairs about the diagnosis of dependence, but just the fact that we've got literally more uh, painkiller abuse than we've ever had is something for everybody to keep in mind. By all means, uh, leave those things alone if you can. We're speaking with Dr. Mitch Earlywine, the host of Burning Issues on CannabisRadio.com. And if you got a call in question, the phone line is 971-533-7111. Or if you'd like to email your question in, you can send it to 420research at gmail.com, and we might tackle it in a future show. Uh, another study showing an alarming link between alcohol, drug use, and campus rape. This is, as a professor on a college campus, I'm sure this is a topic you deal with quite a bit. Well, actually, this is my friend Kate Carey, who used to be at Syracuse University, and she you know, did a really good job of getting some candid responses, but uh, in a large sample, over 400 uh, freshman women, suggested about 15% had experienced some kind of sexual assault while basically incapacitated by drugs or alcohol. And I feel like the, the only thing to say about this is, oh, my God, this is horrible, and it's time to let uh, intervening be the social norm now. So if you see somebody passed out, get that person somewhere safe, regardless of race, creed, gender, sexual orientation, or whatever. We don't want people to do that. And then let's definitely set the norm that this is completely uncool to, you know, even be trying to kiss somebody who isn't conscious. Like, this is just so wrong in so many ways and just so hostile and reprehensible. And we've had data comparable to this literally for decades. And it says a lot about uh, make, making better decisions as far as alcohol is concerned. I really feel like when you look at the norms, most folks really do not drink very much at all. Uh, have maybe one or two drinks in an evening, and it's just a, a outlying crew that happen to drink four or more on any individual occasion, and that seems to be what's putting folks at risk for uh, these assaults. Yeah, and such a shame that so many colleges, uh, there's some sort of drug testing involved that kind of incentivizes the use of alcohol or these harder drugs rather than marijuana. Is there is there really much to people that are marijuana alone uh, consumers seeing this increased link with campus rape? We don't have those data in either direction, um, but in part, it's it's hard to get funding to look at that and that alone. And so I'm finding that a little bit suspicious. The other thing, I mean, I want to hammer home the disparate penalties. So if you're caught with an illicit drug of any kind on some campuses, you're expelled. And that's just not the same penalty for alcohol at all, even with underage drinking. So uh, what's potentially a safer uh, drug in this case for numerous reasons, including probably uh, a decreased likelihood simply because uh, who smokes so much pot that they pass out? <laughs> yeah. Then, then uh, here we we're essentially you know setting things up so the contingencies are completely ass backwards. Yeah. All right. And uh, finally, we've got a story out of Tech Times that very interesting because we've talked about kids and ADHD and Adderall and so forth. And this study said that kids who take ADHD medications like Adderall are more likely to be bullied. And, and what's behind that? I'm afraid this is just a, a mask for actually kids with ADHD are more likely to be bullied. Uh. And it's a very sad dynamic. And it, uh, it's funny because the qualitative work is actually what revealed it most. I thought, oh, these kids will be tough and they'll be quick to anger and probably not be something somebody that a bully would want to target. But in fact, when you interview the bullies, what they say is they know the ADHD kid is in trouble a lot and that if they pick on them, uh, odds are high the teacher's not going to believe them. And that just breaks my heart. Mm. I was just like, oh, my God, what kind of bully basically goes after somebody with that rationale? But that seems to be part of the case. So I don't think this really has anything to do with the ADHD meds so much as this odd dance between the bullies and the bullied that uh, ADHD tends to put folks at risk for. Was it, wasn't there something in there about being bullied to sell or give away their meds, though? Oh, it's interesting because at the end of the article, she does say that at, at Valari. Um, yeah, oh, what a bummer, man. So, <laughs> <laughs> just, not only are you more likely to get in trouble, but hey, I want your drugs. Yeah. Just, it, it, it's, a new, it's the new twist on the old, hey, kid, give me your lunch money. Exactly, oh, exactly. Oh, my gosh. 
Well, folks, check out Dr. Mitch on That's our previous interview with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. My apologies for not having all of the uh, tech details worked out to talk to him live today. You may have heard me figure it out just at the very beginning of that interview. Finally got the Skype connection to work. A little too late, though. So we'll talk to Dr. Mitch next week when I'll be coming to you live from Las Vegas, Nevada. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, it's time for a radical rant. Stick around. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Bootcamp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your business needs Cannabis Finance Bootcamp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootcamp.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I said, on this program, what do they want? My grandchildren and the monster. Oh, did I scare you? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. I uh, hope everybody's got their vape pen handy or their pipe or their bong or whatever you use to do your medicine. But you don't, it's not a requirement. You don't have to be high for this show. Yeah, you do. <laughs> okay. I don't know who you're talking to. You have to be high to do anything. At least I do. I don't know about you. In fact, I've been high so long that being straight is another high. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. Today in the Radical Rant, I want to begin by thanking the folks here at CannabisRadio.com and all our fans here in the state of Arizona who've been so welcoming me to me as I've been here, uh, getting some work done and finding out more about the plans to legalize marijuana in this state. Uh, I had the opportunity last week to be interviewed by CBS5, the affiliate here in Phoenix, Arizona, and I realized that I hadn't played that clip for the folks in the Hour One podcast audience, so we'll go back to last Thursday when I was on the local news here in Phoenix, Arizona. Call them Cannabis Crusaders. A valley business is taking marijuana advocacy online using internet radio. And as Derek Stahl reports, one of their leading voices is backing up his efforts with black and green ink. Welcome back, everybody. Time for our Hemp Day Hump Day update. And joining Russ Belleville is on the air to clear up the smoke around cannabis. My show is the NPR of P.O.T., 
We are a two-hour live daily talk radio program covering all aspects of medical marijuana, consumer cannabis, and industrial hemp. Radical Russ is one of a growing list of pot personalities on Scottsdale-based CannabisRadio.com. You heard it here first. Which bills itself as the Internet's premier provider of cannabis content. The, the fiber strength wouldn't be as good. The seed oil content would be degraded. It, can you get into that detail? This show is all about spreading the message of cannabis legalization across America and around the world. And Belleville is mapping his legalization effort <laughs> in permanent ink. What I learned is that um, the East Coast is more painful than the West Coast. Why is that? Because of all the squiggly lines. He puts a marijuana leaf in every city he's broadcast from. I measured L.A. to Atlanta on my back and then scaled Alaska to that size. And puts a green border around states that have passed recreational use. I'm not stopping until all 50 states are legal. Uh, I'm not stopping until nobody has to fear a drug test for their job. I'm not stopping until every patient who needs medical cannabis can get it. He says 2016 could be a big year for his tattoo artist, with five states, including Arizona, considering legalization measures. If cannabis had never been called marijuana and it never been an illegal drug and we just found it in the rainforest last year, we would be clamoring over what a miracle cure this was for so many ailments. For everyone here in Scottsdale at Cannabis Radio Headquarters, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. Derek Stahl, CBS 5 News. That was a lot of fun interviewing with Derek and the crew there at CBS 5, and it was great for them to come into the Cannabis Radio headquarters and uh, take a look at what it's like for us to put this show on live. Really, really appreciate that. And uh, I did tweet out the link to the video, so if you are following me at Radical Russ, you should be able to go back in my timeline and find that video link. It'll also be posted at RadicalRuss.com slash live, where I keep my list of all my live uh, performances and radicalrust.com slash press where I cover all of my press encounters. Now to continue with today's radical rant, I want to go back to the story that we covered in drug war data mining and expand on this just a little bit because it's revealing something that I've been a little bit worried about as we continue our quest to legalize marijuana. And my worry is the worry of overselling. I've always worried that we oversell marijuana legalization. And if we do, when the promises don't come out like they were expected to come out, it could be detrimental to our push in the future states. Now, the first promise that we made, the first reason we decided or we explained to people that we needed to legalize marijuana had to do with the money aspect. We told people that we could raise so much tax money from it. We wouldn't be spending this money on criminal justice enforcement. Instead, we could spend the money on schools. And so far, so good with that one. So far, so good. The state of Oregon pulled in $3.5 million in their first month, blowing away expectations. That's on pace for $42 million a year. The most liberal expectation for Oregon was $40 million a year. And this is just selling a quarter ounce of flour at a time. We're not even into selling edibles, tinctures, extracts, and those sorts of things to all consumers in Oregon. So we're going to completely blow away any of the uh, tax, uh, any of the tax recommendations. Now the other states, Colorado and Washington have also pulled in massive tax revenues. So You may remember, if you've been listening to me a long time, I've warned people, be careful about selling marijuana legalization as this big tax revenue enhancer, because if it doesn't turn out to be a tax revenue enhancer, then people will think, oh, well, that didn't work. Now, fortunately, that didn't happen. Fortunately, the tax revenues came out as we predicted. But like Vivian McPeak has once said, it's nice people are into legalizing because of wanting to make a bunch of money, but they should be into legalizing. Because putting people in a cage for weed is wrong, right? If, if we base our argument on how much money it can make, then we, we are kind of assigning an economic value to it, an economic value to prohibition. Like we'd keep doing prohibition if we could afford it, but we just can't afford it. And I think we ought to have the attitude of we just shouldn't do prohibition. Even if it costs us more money to make marijuana legal, it's the right thing to do. 
Now, while we haven't been caught up in that tax argument because things turned out like we expected, today's drug war data mining shows us that one of our other arguments is a bit suspect. And that's the argument about the racial disparity in marijuana arrests. A lot of our rhetoric and our proselytizing about marijuana legalization has been to point out that black people and Latino people are more likely to be arrested, convicted, and jailed for marijuana crimes than white folks. Even though we use marijuana and grow marijuana and traffic marijuana at about the same rates, in fact, in some respects, white folks do it more. But despite all that, black people are four times more likely to get busted. And so we've made the argument, we need to legalize marijuana because look at how terrible this has been to black folks. Well, this new data that's come out has shown that in the states that have passed decrim and legalization, at least the five they looked at, it didn't make much difference at all to the disparity. Yes, far fewer black people got busted, but also far fewer white people got busted. And of the remaining few people that still get busted, it's still disproportionately black and Latino. And so this points to the fact that the criminal justice system itself is racist. And this is a point I've heard Kevin Sibet make Many times I've seen him in front of audiences where African-Americans will question him on this and his stock comeback is always something to the effect of racism has been in America for 400 years. You don't think legalizing marijuana is going to fix that, do you? And you know what? As much as it pains me to say it, Kevin Sabet's right on this one. Legalization of marijuana is not going to fix the institutional racism in our criminal justice system. It's still the right thing to do, though. Because far fewer people got arrested, period, regardless of which race they are. I just think the days of us being able to sell legalization as some sort of panacea for the problem of racist drug law enforcement is, is going to be a harder case to make the more this data comes out, the more that we see this effect. We've seen it in Denver and we've seen it in Washington when it comes to the public toking citations, which still remain disproportionately assigned to black and Latino people. So no, marijuana legalization is not going to fix the inherent structural racism of our criminal justice system, of our police system, of the way our cities are even laid out for that matter. We have to be careful about how we're selling legalization and not to oversell it. I've made that same point when it comes to the medical marijuana side, it's great that marijuana is a medicine and can help people with all sorts of ailments. But if we stick to the argument being marijuana is safer than alcohol, then when we find situations where marijuana is not safe, that can undermine our argument. We need to be careful. I'm very fond of saying in a country that's decided we can handle the risks of cigarettes and alcohol, there is no logical reason to stop me from using cannabis. I don't even like to get into whether or not it's a medical use, a personal use, a religious use. I don't like to get into how much money we're going to save, how much tax revenue we're going to make. None of that. The very simple fact of the matter is my body, my choice. It doesn't matter if it's expensive to society. It doesn't matter if it's harmful to me. It's my body. And if I live in a country where we've decided it's okay for me to pickle my liver and blacken my lungs, then it's okay for me to expand my mind. My body, my choice. You're not going to trip me up with any of these arguments about race or the medicinal uses of cannabis. When I had to, when I was talking to the CBS Five guys, and this didn't make the, uh, didn't make the uh, uh, final cut. But when they were talking to me, the uh, Derek, the reporter, asked me if I was a medical marijuana user, and I said, "Well, I suppose I could say that my daily marijuana use helps me get to sleep at night, makes me feel a little less anxious, but it also makes me appreciate jazz more and." helps me be more creative is that medical use i don't know but you know what it doesn't matter 
doesn't matter if it's medical use to me because I can drink and I can smoke and that's definitely not medical. So why does my marijuana use have to be medical in order to be good enough? I reject that notion. All right, that's all for Hour 1. Stay tuned. Hour 2 is coming up. Toker Talk Radio. For everyone here at Cannabis Radio in Scottsdale, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, Tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.